Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. Today we have our special guest, Mr. Charlie Bertan. So welcome, Charlie. Hiya. Hiya. And all the way from England, so we appreciate that. Now you are with Charlie Bertan Associates, your own company, and you are an expert in hydrogen, offshore wind, and impact investing, which I'm very curious about impact investing, especially in Africa. So could you please tell us you know, what you're up to? Yeah, it's a very busy time. Uh, thank you for your kind words there, uh, Wendy. It's, uh, it's something that's um, organically grown out of my um, interest in training. Uh, I trained in recent years on offshore wind, on hydrogen, including in the United States and uh, Canada, for example, uh, Boehm uh, in the United States. And they're very interested in, uh, in future developments for renewable energy, especially offshore wind. So the training side gets you in front of uh, some key people in the world, as you would imagine, and they always want more. They, they want uh, further advice. They want uh, to know the next thing, the next innovation. And obviously, hydrogen plays highly into that. There are big synergies between the uh, the green uh, dynamic of offshore wind and some of the opportunities around uh, green hydrogen. Um, so a result of my organic approach, it means that I get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to places such as Grimsby Fish Docks or local entrepreneurs or people with ideas, many of them weird and wonderful, but some of them very interesting indeed. And more recently, I've, I've been uh, lucky enough to be uh, invited to congresses, the World Hygiene Congress, and uh, to the City of London, lucky enough to moderate uh, sessions there. Uh, and, and they took the view, look, uh, we, uh, we were instrumental in the 1970s in the UK. We didn't have an oil and gas industry, um, uh, but we made it happen, or we helped make it happen. We are the insurance industry, or we the City of London. And we want to make the next the next industrial revolution happen. We get the green agenda. We get the need for decarbonisation. We're here. We're ready. We know how to deliver major projects. We know how to deliver scary things offshore. Uh, yeah. North Sea is quite challenging. And we want to do it again. And so I suppose it was a logical um, conclusion, wasn't it, given the fact that I'm already talking to entrepreneurs, to startups, to people in the field with ideas. Uh, and I'm also talking to the City of London and the financiers. Uh, that I sit in the middle and say, well, have you talked to them? What about the next step here? Have you got your IP mailed up? What about your patents? Who do you want to go to next? And so uh, it's an area I can add a bit of uh, value to. Um, and uh, increasingly, uh, it's an increasing part of my and my company's uh, business. A very organic um, step forward from uh, just your teaching. So I'm, I, when you mentioned entrepreneurs and startups, I'm a huge fan of those groups because they are actually thinking outside the box. They're coming up with new ideas people haven't really thought of before or taking existing ideas and making them better. And you've always supported um, a global transition to a low carbon economy. Could you explain why it's not a no carbon economy and what that difference is? Yeah, really? well, I'm green through and through, uh, Wendy. I started off as a volunteer uh, for um, wind, which isn't universally acclaimed, certainly the onshore uh, variety, but I, I do it because I believe in it. And uh, sometimes there were uh, challenges, certainly when you work in a company such as uh, Shell, which I did for many years, uh, they share some of it, but not all of the agenda. I suppose the reason uh, I also encompass low carbon is that there is a place for that uh, too. Uh, for example, uh, you might claim that pyrolysis, which is a very high temperature form of hydrogen production. Uh, now that might suit something like um, the recycling of plastic waste, for example. So plastic waste, a real problem, certainly here in the UK. 
uh, and uh, you've got something that can uh, technique techniques that can give a, a real pure form of hydrogen 99 percent pure hydrogen can be created for from uh, that pyrolysis um, pros, the prospect uh, but that is not green uh, that is you might say the, the the lowest of low carbon which i support uh, but if you were to say is it renewable well probably not uh, but it is uh, addressing a need and so that's probably why uh, that's an example of why I would uh, widen my scope uh, from being pure green to uh, very low carbon as uh, as well. Uh, there are other synergies between the two, uh, and there are some uh, reality checks as well where the two uh, intertwine as well. If you want to be serious about this, uh, you're serious. We're talking about project delivery rather than fancy theoretical constructs, which might sound lovely and pure, but I'm also about major projects, uh, mega projects giga projects getting them away doing it safely and making a return for investors we do live in a society which is a capitalist society here in the uk uh, and we have to be mindful of the realities of keeping stakeholders happy keeping people engaged giving the workforce a future making sure that towns and cities are sustainable that is a route and you want to bring them in you don't want to become adversarial thinking sometimes it's blue versus green or it's heat pumps versus uh, grid hydrogen it's, it's not always the case uh, so that's really why it's low carbon it's a, a reality if we are going to decarbonize certainly hard to abate industries steel cement porcelain concrete then uh, you need to think about decarbonizing as much through a blue uh, future as through the pure green which obviously as i indicated was my motivation remains my motivation uh, but it's aligned with that low carbon aspect as well so Charlie, you know, I don't know how it works uh, overseas, but uh, what about carbon credits? Do you guys operate in carbon credits? Yeah, or there are various me mechanisms to support uh, the green agenda. Uh, we have had that. We've had a number of uh, supports here in the UK, uh, ranging from a renewable obligation certificate. It's been amended to a floor price now. It's called a contract for difference. Um, carbon taxes and carbon credits are other mechanisms. Uh, different countries favour different supports. Uh, and we did get the carbon credits a part of the rock as well. And that was a good motivation. It got uh, utilities moving. Uh, they may or may not have been <laughs> inclined to change, but I think that focused the mind. Certainly, if you can get a credit for producing in a green manner, uh, that is an incentive. And it incentivised the utilities. And I suspect that that will be a major part of uh, incentivization uh, in Europe. Uh, going forward, uh, that um, perhaps you can offset it, offset it against tax, get some uplift, get a physical re remuneration. Who knows what mechanism? And the one, of course, the downside is uh, people also talk about carbon credits. There are also some debate about carbon taxes. <clears throat> taxes are not universally acclaimed, uh, certainly not by politicians that have to explain uh, to people why there's a carbon tax. But I also see that uh, obviously the energy transition has to be paid for. And like any bill, um, it often comes to people like you and I at the end of the day. So that's something that we must face as an industry and be honest about it. But the carbon credits and the uh, the carbon tax ideas might then go into a pot and then be redistributed to ease and socialise that uh, that pain as well. So carbon credits, absolutely, um, and along with a whole heap of other, other, other mechanisms as well, depending on the region, the country and the aspirations, yeah? Absolutely. You know, it's funny when you mentioned the capitalism, Joel did his patented eye roll because we are defined by finance. No one's going to make a change unless there's, they get money out of it. And I'm glad that you mentioned the benefit of stakeholders versus shareholders. So to clarify that for people who don't understand, 
shareholder, obviously an investor, they want a financial return. Stakeholders, the rest of us, it's the community, it's everybody. It's, you know, are we getting our lungs filled with pollutants? Are we living a better life? So well, that's a, our shift in focus. Go ahead. Great uh, point, uh, Wendy. Just this very afternoon here in the UK, I've been talking to two uh, groups, both on your side of the pond. One is with BOEM, a task, uh, task force is sitting as we speak, and I will be resuming it after this uh, thing. And that's comprised of stakeholders, ranging from local government to environmentalists to tribal uh, kind of representatives, a whole heap of stakeholders. And of course, they've got a voice. My second call of the day was to another financial company saying, hey, Charlie, you're on the cutting edge. You talk to a lot of small startups. You talk to a lot of portfolio players. We have got the investment but it has to be robust. We can't be chasing things that are, are not going to be stacking up. There will be a financial close. There will be a financial investment decision uh, and there will be sums and, and, and we, we can't just be drifting. We have to keep it to KPIs, to milestones and all those things you would expect from project rigor. I'd like to combine the best of capitalism, if you like, which is project rigor, governance, finance, um, how to deliver things safely, corporate social responsibility with the best that the startups and the entrepreneurs uh, can offer. Obviously, very enthused about the um, what, what they're doing. Uh, sometimes, do they always see the bigger picture? Are they aware of the realities of financial close, the uh, the grey hairs that you see upon my head? Probably the result of it. It's hard to go through a financial close. And as long as we're upfront and honest and say, look, sooner or later, there will be a moment of truth. Uh, it's not me, is it? Yeah. I, you know, I'm just saying because I come from a green background. Uh, so it has to be rigorous and it has to be robust. Otherwise, the finances will, and they are stakeholders as well, will, will walk away. And that would be a real tragedy. And, and that's for many, many parts of the world. Uh, it's not just a case of, uh, of well, throwing largesse. Uh, however, well-meaning projects, they have to be robust, scalable. All the things, is the IP nailed up? Is it, is it, is it, you know, is, is it robust? If, if not, they'll walk away and that would be a tragedy. Well, speaking of, of which, uh, Charlie, you know, there has been so much talk and so many people who claim to, uh, to be doing impact investing in Africa. Yeah. And I know firsthand how difficult, uh, you know, projects in Africa can be, uh, whether it's wind, solar, even just potable water. Um, what are you seeing going on uh, in that part of the world? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's very interesting. I mean, the resource is fabulous, isn't it? Certainly for renewables and green. You look at uh, the solar resource, the irradiation. You look at the wind resource. You look at places uh, such as Mauritania and Namibia. I talked to a lot. They've both got really promising trajectories for offshore wind and hydrogen. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the resource is fabulous. They've got um, uh, technologies that would really, really aid that. I think there's, there are positive signs, uh, uh, Joy, moving into, the, uh, in, into that field in that I also... Uh, support organizations such as UNIDOC, the United Nations Industrial Development Organization, that certainly get the bigger picture. Now, I'm not saying that UNIDOC is going to solve the problems, but it can perhaps have a role as, as an honest broker in that they've got boots on the ground, they are familiar with local realities, but they can also open the doors as, uh, as well. And I've seen similar trajectories with the organizations here in the UK, quite close to our Department of International Trade. That's pivoting. Uh, traditionally, it might have said it was a mechanism to support fossil uh, um, uh, growth and expansion throughout the globe, but used to do that through our embassies. But that's pivoting as well. They get the green agenda and they're now saying, well, we've got to support renewables. We've got to support things like you were talking about, green hydrogen, green offshore wind. Uh, and so if you were to combine the two, our offshore, um, our 
overseas elements in the Department of International Trade, the Chambers of Commerce that sit below it, and the embassies that are aligned with it, along with organizations, global organizations. Uh, COP26 was very much a United Nations uh, um, uh, event uh, with Unido Pivotal in it. Uh, then there are opportunities for hope because they can open doors for people. I'm not saying they're a magic wand, but they can remove some of the blockers uh, in certainly places such as Africa, which have been uh, uh, challenging, have not, not necessarily been 100% success, have the major, major developments in Africa in the last, uh, last 50 or so years. Some have, some have not, a mixed bag. Yeah? So when you mention so, cup, go ahead, Joel, go ahead. No, sorry, go. sorry, I'm just going to have a little fun here. So when you mention <laughs> offshore wind, I just want to clarify one windmills do not cause cancer so could, could you repeat not the question kill a lot of birds uh, you cite you cite them away from uh, migration routes it's the first thing you do as a responsible developer i think uh, there's a danger of taking the nimby narrative as, as the reality the first thing you would do as a responsible developer is look at the constraints i've just been and still am involved in the boehm um uh, kind of narrative uh, for the, uh, the, the the atlantic coast and the first thing they do is look at the major risks and birds are very, very top of that. Historically, it's not always been the case. Some of the early ones were crudely sighted, certainly in California, uh, and that's led to a bad impression. But that doesn't mean the technology doesn't work. It means that the sighting was crude and we've learned a lot uh, since. So the first thing you would always do as a responsible developer is, uh, is look at the environmental constraints and then rule it in or out. Uh, and that de-risking is increasingly being done at government level. So we as developers uh, only come in after it's been significantly de-risked. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the Crown Estate here in the UK, uh, the sister organisation Boehm uh, in, in, in DC. They will de-risk it by talking to stakeholders, environmental stakeholders, and the birds at the very top of that, uh, before it even comes to, uh, to, to, to leasing. So it's, it's de-risked at a very early stage. But when it comes to the general public, there's a lot of misinformation and there's yeah, been certain yeah. people who have said certain comments, which yeah. are kind of yeah, yeah. far-fetched, to put it nicely. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, whether windmills causing cancer or yeah, these yeah. could be a blight on the coastline for the view. Yeah. How do you combat yeah. that? Yeah, well, you stick to the truth, don't you? I mean, uh, there are all kinds That's of agendas. Some of, is, some of it is, uh, is, is malicious. Some of it, uh, we had some people flying across in Scotland, some very high-profile people that had golf courses and all kinds of things that weren't weren't aligned with the uh, with the renewable agenda and of course you've got vested interests that will promote untruth so you do it well you do it responsibly like any major project you will stick to it and, and you have to be mindful of that i'm not saying there have not been examples that uh, would would give uh, opponents uh, some uh, fuel uh, and there have been examples of turbines falling over and uh, migrate and bird uh, casualties of course so the thing is then to take all the information and get the stakeholders uh, around the table early. So you de-risk it early. So you might go to the bird fraternity and say, look, which sites they might not be dancing for joy, but which sites would be more comfortable with? Which ones are absolute no-no from your point of view? Similar with the fishermen and other stakeholder groups. We share this planet. The fishermen don't own the sea, but they've got a right. It's their livelihoods. They've got certainly a voice. Uh, so we'll work in tandem with it, just as you would as a good neighbour. You share it with them. And if you sh if share the best practice and share the best principles, then you'll have a more robust uh, project and you'll have happier people. So there's no point antagonising people as a developer. Uh, you'd like to think, well, you could offer the fishermen. Uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, in UK, many fishermen have converted to becoming skippers of uh, CTVs, the crew transfer vessels, 
fishing was decaying in many parts of the east coast of the UK, the port of Grimsby has been transformed through hosting offshore wind. So it's been a great uh, new story. The mayor of Grimsby stands up and says it's been transformational for our town. And so I think there'll be similar examples on uh, on the coast of uh, America as well. In fact, I know they are because people are okay. queuing up to get involved. But let's not forget, there are real issues to uh, to be mindful of, real constraints, and let's do it well. We want to do it the right way. We are all about the ecology. We're all about sustainability. The last thing we want to do is uh, is reduce that for our children. So we must be very careful to present a better future and a better environmental future uh, than exists at the moment. And that, that is baked into best practice. Some of the things that are said out there are uh, a bit... Uh, malicious and amplified by elements of the press who are not, not always uh, uh, convivial to our industry. They're not always supporters of, of renewables, far from it. We are a little behind in the States, I'm fully admitted. Um, <laughs> we took a little nap for about four years, but we're awake now, we're back. Uh, and, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> and now we're rushing to bed, all of our, our stuff taken care of to be net zero, in, by 2035, which is yeah. not that far away. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it was stop and then hurry up and run. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the good news is that, that sometimes delay can help you. Certainly, uh, I've come across projects which, if they'd been straight trajectory, would have been less good. And then a couple of years delay, I'm thinking of Sea Green in Scotland, where the technology has really improved and the delay, although it was painful at the time a far better scheme will be built as out as a result. And sometimes, uh, certainly I'm talking, as I say, to Boehm on the other line, if you like, um, they've got a 30 gigawatts by 2030 build out now in the United States uh, and uh, new technologies, uh, including ironically some that have benefited during that delay will help deliver that. So um, uh, yes, I agree that it's frustrating, but it's, it's sometimes you can benefit as well. If you, if you keep a cool head, see the bigger picture, uh, you can catch up and even overtake. Uh, some of uh, some of the things that we've learned sometimes hard on the side of the Atlantic. Not hard lessons, but um, I wanted to circle back because you know you do do investing, impact investing yeah. primarily. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of greenwashers out there. A lot of people yeah. claiming certain things that aren't entirely true. Yeah. Maybe it's unintentional yeah. greenwashing is what I like to yeah. think. What should people avoid? Well, you might want to look. I mean, I would, I would certainly look, if I was investing, I would look at the history of the company, um, whether it aligns with the philosophy. I'd look at the philosophy. I'd look at the corporate social responsibility um, element of the company. Just about all companies in the UK have them, but I'm not saying that all do. You might want to look at the history of those in, involved. Uh, you might want to then do a little bit of further due diligence and see whether they want to be, where they want to be in a few years' time, uh, what the commitment to the green agenda or the low carbon agenda might be and those might be some simple uh, simple high level questions to ask before you decided to uh, to do that and that's increasingly happening it's it's not just taught the pension funds are increasingly getting it i've mentioned our department of international trade uh, and the, the city of london gets it as well the, the um they absolutely get the uh, low carbon uh, future so i think the cost of money for fossils is going to increase um, shale, fracking, oil, gas, all of those, um, the sunset industries, whether they can fight the Canute-like last battles, but ultimately the uh, the episteme or the, the, the mindset of the modern generation is moving people away, and they're getting it. They do get the big picture. So the CEOs, and if you think people like the city, uh, city of London get it, <laughs> they've not always been known for being uh, uh, ahead of the, uh, the, the curve, um, uh, public uh, opinion-wise, uh, then it's a good news story. That's fantastic. Um, 
So as we close out, because we're, we're running to our 20 minutes, how can people find you? What you, know, you offer a myriad of services. Um, your website, which is charlie yeah, I'm, uh, I'm lucky enough. I've, I was uh, I was planting some uh, a bit of a lawn fur three or four years ago uh, when nobody was really interested in hydrogen apart from a few people like like me. But it was like a, a, a little little echo chamber at times. But that's no longer the case. Everybody, but everybody, is now aware of the hydrogen agenda. They can find me, they can use Mr. Google and, and it won't take long to get some kind of contact uh, uh, details should they so wish. I'm having to expand. I'm no longer, uh, I'm now the associates and bringing people that I know can help deliver projects and do due diligence and uh, all the other things that we talked about. It's no longer just one person. It's uh, somebody just heading up and dipping in and out at the key key moments, making sure that the quality is, uh, is what blue chip investors would uh, expect making sure that uh, what i've promised is uh, is delivered and making sure that people are happy with the charlie rattan associates uh, um uh, product uh, and uh, i learn from people telling me uh, the brokerage came from people asking for it not from me thinking i'm the world's best broker i've not got a history i've not got a 20 year history in the city of london but i do know that if i'm talking to people with projects and that i'm talking to financiers it doesn't take much to say well have you talked to this group or have you considered that and then suddenly you're yeah. there and it's, it's a very organic movement for me well i mean your knowledge background is gigantic and 25 years of hands-on experience very few people have so you yeah, do have sort uh, of an edge uh, over most yeah it's, it's been a good one when, when obviously there's some fancy titled people with fancy organizations that uh, have often come to me for my training but i don't plaster that everywhere they come to me for training on ammonia on hydrogen on offshore wind and hydrogen uh, and then you stay in contact with them and then uh, and you learn from them as well. It's a two-way process that I, I've shown them perhaps the basics of uh, where we are with offshore wind or floating wind and hydrogen. And they, yeah. share, they share with me other things that they, they learn. No, no one person, I think, can, can know it all. But if you've got a curious mind and want to learn and want to promote and promote in a low carbon and green manner, then it's, it's a good place to be. And collaboration is pretty much all we got. I mean, yeah, well, it's in direction. We're, we're, we're talking here. I've, I've, uh, I've never had the pleasure of meeting you, and I'm certainly not next door to you, but the technology that we're using um, it enables yeah, something approximating a real-time uh, co collaboration, doesn't it? And uh, as I said, this afternoon I've talked with financiers on your side of the Atlantic, and uh, I will be rejoining the, the task force meeting on your side of the Atlantic. So in, in, some, in some ways, collaboration has never, has never been easier. It's, uh, and, and some of it has come as, from a bad reason for the, for the pandemic. And yet people have now yeah. seen you know, the technology works uh, and we can, we can kick on and, and really collaborate very effectively, almost in real time. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, ESJ was born out of the pandemic. I grabbed Joy and Joel and I'm like, let's just do this. And just set everything up and we just started talking to people. And exactly. it's communication, outreach, education. It's all we got. Exactly. We all are heading in the same direction. So on that, I thank you so much for your time. We will definitely have you back. I believe we have you scheduled for a couple months from now to talk about um, other technologies you're working on. And um, I thank you. This is huge. This is amazing knowledge. And I really do appreciate your time today. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, everybody. Thank, thank you, guys. You. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.